You're listening to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. Well, I am just a living and breathing hitting machine. I know how bad you all feel for me, and I thank you very much. It's not as bad as it looks. It's really not. A little bit of healing, which requires a little bit of uh, non-weight bearing, and I've got a lot of weight not to bear. So this make it a little, a little harder, I will admit that. Do you know, as we gather here on this fourth, sorry, this third Sunday of Lent, we are called to a reflection on anthropology. Anthropology means basically the study of the human person. And we speak in anthropological terms all the time, uh, whether it be a system of the body or the mind, or whether it be how muscles work. Doctors study anthropology, particularly in the areas, obviously, of their expertise. And, you know, we have a Christian anthropology, and it's so important for us to never forget who we are and how we interact with God. What makes us tick? What makes us truly happy by being in right relationship with Him? And so we have a whole area called Christian anthropology, study of the human person, and we would say that the church may not be an expert in, in science or math or writing or arithmetic, but the church is an expert in humanity. Church is an expert in how human beings can be truly happy. She is that. She takes all those other things to wrap them into one to make sure that we're all living in right relationship with God. And so we hear today the story of the woman at the well, a story that I think all of us are very familiar with, a beautiful story. But there are some things in there about our anthropology that we have currently, each one of us individually, and that is kind of a euphemism for the church because we make up the body of the church. And so we look at our origins, and by the way, we went through this over the last year or two. I preach about anthropology often. I'm not expecting you guys to remember a homily from nine months ago at all, but we use the image of the life bar, I believe, uh, for several weeks about how we are in relationship to God and Christ himself as the life bar, coming out to save us in the law when we get ourselves in trouble. And that's really the heart of our anthropology. When God made the world, he made it all good. It was perfect. Adam and Eve were going to live forever. They were completely and perfectly programmed to be in right relationship with God. The world was in proper order. They didn't have to worry about a thing. They just didn't. And then they ate the darn apple. And when sin entered the world, so did suffering. And the permeation of sin is so deep, that's why we really hate sin, right? So deep that it has basically affected the entire human race. So God made the human race good. The human race messed it by our sins. Now we have faulty programming. And it's manifested in many different ways. We are born a fallen creature. I know some people say, oh no, Father, my baby's beautiful, perfect, whatever. No. No. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, we're all born with a set of complexes that draw, draw us away from God. And generally speaking, the effects of sin, the effects of original sin, the way that we are born, is that we have our vision blurred. Our will is weakened. 
our mind is diminished. We are not able to function in the clarity with which we need in order to see God, see what is truly good, and then the will to act upon. And so, as we think of the Samaritan woman today, we see she has that. She doesn't see who Christ is. Can't tell who he is. Oh, you must be a prophet. Oh, you're just another Jew. And there he is, God himself, right in front of him. Right in front of him. And then we also know he tells you, you worship what you don't understand. See, our understanding is not perfect. Our mind has been weak. We don't completely understand the faith or what God's design is for us or in his faith. We don't. Hopefully we're working towards it. That's the point. God has given us the remedy to fix all those things. But in the end, the woman at the well didn't do that. And she also recognized right away. She didn't recognize that God is God. He kind of revealed that. I didn't do the long reading tonight. I know that there was a sigh of relief for many of you for that. But in the longer reading, of course, many of you will recall that as they are discussing things, Jesus points out to her the number of husbands that she had, pointing to maybe a rather dissolute life. And so we studied that second reading tonight for the lifeguard image. The second reading is the same reading from the sacred heart of Jesus. And in that reading, it tells us, it tells us that God doesn't disappoint. God is God. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. For Christ, while we were still helpless, we were still helpless, died at the appointed time for the ungodly. Sometimes that's translated as sinners. Died at the appointed time for sinners. And so when we think of our help from God, our disposition has to be understanding that first, God loves us and God is God. By the way, there are no secrets as the Samaritan woman found kind of enjoy the thought of hiding things. You know, our lives are an open book to God, whether we want them to be or not. He's God. He knows everything. Whether we want to reveal it or not, and I think sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that we keep it to ourselves and everything will be fine. It's not the way it works. God himself knows everything. And I guess maybe in the world there are some secrets that are out there. Maybe we think we can participate in those. Who killed Jimmy Hoffa, right? What happened to Amelia Earhart? Who's the other guy? That, oh, D.B. Cooper, right? We don't know what happened with him either. It's not that way with God. And so God is God, and that's the first thing we have to recognize. Then we have to recognize that we're helpless. We can't get ourselves out of it. He's the engineer. He's the program. He's the one who knows how to bring us back to where we need to be, and only him. And then, of course, we acknowledge our faults, our weaknesses, our sins. And those three things are elements that you have to have to have any sense of humility. And in that humility, we'll find our heart softened. So as we hear in our responsorial psalm today, and this is what Lent is meant to prompt, if today you hear his voice, harden not. And a hard heart is something where we can have something that we can have. That would, and nobody else would even know. Nobody else would even know. We can be a perfectly nice person, a perfectly pleasant person, a perfectly successful person, and still have a hard heart. Hardness of heart is a matter of interior disposition to receive God's word and to change our lives because of it.
And so as we think of that humility, that's our disposition that we have to have in order for us to be able to receive the goodness that God wants to give to us. And that's our anthropology. That's the way we work. Because, and it makes sense. If we're prideful and arrogant and have no need of God and don't think God is God, why would we bother to do anything at his behest? Why wouldn't we just run ourselves? That's where we got in trouble in the first place. Adam and Eve wanting to be like God. And so we now look at where we are today, and we are where the folks in the Exodus in that first reading are. In the end, is the Lord in our midst or not? Is the Lord in our midst or not? These people had seen God part the Red Sea. They had seen the plagues. They had seen all these other signs. And they still had fear because they were in the desert getting hungry. And they still didn't trust God. Those two factors, fear and trust, are the biggest factors, along with our pride. Those two are the biggest factors that keep from coming to know God and following Him joyfully and fully. We be, need, need not be afraid. There's a reason why Jesus said that, however many times it was. I think it's 33 in the Gospels. The most repeated line, be not afraid. Be not afraid. The other part is trust. In our divine, our divine uh, mercy devotion, you, we all have to see Him in the front yards, huh? You know, Jesus, I trust Him. That's what Lent is about restoring is to strengthen that trust, to bring us back to where we need to be if we backslidden, and then to move forward, we hope, in the grace of Christ at Easter, to be better. Our sacrament of reconciliation, penance, confession, is the very same thing, and we don't have a problem taking advantage of that at St. Pius. You keep Father Poirier and I very busy. Uh, it's great. It's great. Uh, but it is the same thing. We go in, we plead guilty, we acknowledge in humility that we are sinners, we confess our sins, knowing that God is God, we confess all of our sins. And then God wants to give us his mercy, so in the prayer of absolution, it's not just forgiveness of sins, it is the grace to amend our lives. Confession does both, actually every sacrament does both, because that's the Paschal mystery. Our old self dies, our fallen nature dies, and we put on a new cloak we're able to, then to live in him and in harmony and in peace and in happiness. And that's the struggle that we have, all of us, as we move forward in our life, is to constantly worship God by allowing him to change us. And in that, we are able to give him greater glory in the good lives that we lead. And so as we are rapidly approaching the halftime of Lent, uh, by the way, for those of you who haven't made confession, it's a great experience. Don't be not afraid, as I like to say. Doesn't matter how long, doesn't matter how bad, as some say, there is no sin greater than God's mercy. That's where we begin to think we're greater than God. No, it's all about His mercy and then His gift of grace to lift us up from our fallen state, to be refashioned in His image and likeness, to be able to relate to Him in a way that is healthy and holy. So let's make sure we take advantage of all the remedies that we have. But first, starting with ourselves, our disposition, our willingness to actually work on humility, our willingness to actually examine our lives in a very critical way, and then asking God to come in and help us 
along the way.